0: When I was in college, I studied abroad for a semester and woke up the next morning after flying across the atlantic and I was a little groggy and I went to to the shower room and took a shower and came out and was standing at the sink and shaving and I looked in the mirror and I saw a young w- woman <laughs> coming from the shower part of the bathroom and she walked up and came to the sink right next to me and I was completely humiliated I I just said I am so sorry and I started throwing stuff into my shaving kit and I, I just I just woke up and I must have gotten the wrong shower room and I started to walk out and she said oh it's fine it's unisex This was 25 years ago, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And so when the referendum came in North Carolina just uh, about a month ago, at the end of 2016, to require schools to allow people to use whatever bathroom they wanted to use, I thought to myself, wow, there's a real conundrum. Because I personally feel uncomfortable with that, and yet I know that there are people who feel uncomfortable uh, using the, the restroom that, um, that their X or XY chromosomes tell them that they should use. And you say, you've you got to be kidding me, Tim, really? And I, I'm just saying, look... We, we live in a world where when, you're, when your kids go to college, and I'm speaking from personal experience, they're going to be addressing this kind of issue. And in fact, there are kids in this room that probably know somebody who have some dysphoria. That's the word for it. Some confusion or some disheartening feeling about, about their gender. This is the world we're living in. And if we're going to talk about the way that that Church Street connects to Main Street, if we're going to talk about the relevance of faith in everyday life, you better believe we ought to be able to talk about these kinds of issues and go to the Scriptures understanding how the Scriptures speak to these kinds of issues. Now, here's the warning. What's happening today is that issue after issue, our culture is playing a gotcha game in a lot of ways there are people in our culture that really want to deconstruct anything that is authoritative. Alright? Are you with me? There are people in our culture that want to deconstruct social norms. They would put them in the category of just sort of traditional, old fashioned. And so we have to be careful for for two about two different situations when we're responding to these difficult and very sensitive issues. Issues that once upon a time were just handled in the privacy of a doctor's office are being trotted out into the front page of the newspapers and all over social media. And everybody's an expert and everybody has an opinion. Have you noticed that? Everybody has an opinion and everybody's an expert. Pretty amazing to me. But we have to be careful when when the next issue comes up about two different responses. First is this. There is a real gotcha game going on. There's a real gotcha game. That if, if, if a Christian or if the church reacts to, to this kind of situation and shows no compassion for somebody who's wrestling with these feelings, then there are people who will just completely dismiss the Christian faith as invalid. And you say, well, Tim, that's what they're, they're looking to do anyway. That's, they came in looking. Well, th- I understand that. But see, our, our role, our call is to build bridges. And we need to recognize when we're being perceived in a way that's just plain mean and just plain disconnected. And so we have to understand that if if there's an issue that's coming up, Christians and the church have been from place to place and century to century problem solvers, uniters. Christians have been the kinds of people who can speak into situations that say, you know what, here's how we're going to respond to this. The second, the second uh, caution that I have when these kinds of issues come up that are sensitive that, that that tend to divide us, is that the other thing that's going on is that there are these poles, right, and there are reactions. You've noticed, right? You've noticed that we're just reacting to each other. You believe this. And you're coming from this perspective and you react. I, I'm coming from this perspective and I'm reacting to you. And what I'm saying is stop it. Stop reacting. It's not helping. Have you yet to see whether you're talking uh, to people on social media or where you're, whether you're talking across the table face to face? Have you seen anybody argued out of their position? Oh, I see. You're right. I'm wrong. When was the last time you saw that? It doesn't happen very often. Now people, you plant seeds and all of that, but that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how do you plant those seeds? How do you build those bridges? How do you connect Church Street to Main Street? You say, Tim, we're under attack. No, we're not just under attack. The, the, The church and the truth is always being vetted, always, and has always and will always be vetted. And so our job is to stop being so defensive about it. And I understand. I understand what's at stake. I understand that what's happening is is that if you draw some of these things to their logical conclusions, what we're doing is dismantling what's what's true. We're dismantling truth. Yes. Yes. But dragging our faith, our one faith, down into this level where it's just one among many perspective and options is not working. And so rather than reacting and getting caught up in these gotcha games, we need to understand how does Jesus call us to connect Church Street with Main Street? How does Jesus call us to respond to our day and age challenges? They're always going to be these kinds of challenges. How are we called to respond? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter four, starting with verse eighteen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter. Oh, by the way, I love this. You know, read closely when you're reading scripture. Read closely. One of the things is that you'll notice is that Matthew was written very close to the time when, uh, when the disciples saw Jesus. In fact, during the time when the disciples walked with Jesus. That's why it says, who is called Peter? And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you bless this word that our lives as well as our lips would bear it out in truth and in grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the the room got sort of awkwardly silent when I was talking about this issue, and I expected that much, and I was a little nervous about that, and I know that, that people are are already reacting in their minds where they're coming down on this particular issue, but here's what I want to tell you. We're not solving this issue, and I'm not taking a particular stand this morning. What I'm talking about is in the midst of these sensitive issues, we can step in in a, in a winsome way. You say, Tim, you know, uh, this, uh, this isn't going the direction that I think it needs to go. You know, Paul uh, on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 he 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 came in and he argued and he showed people where they went wrong. And and, and he he proved to them and, and he demonstrated that Jesus is is the way and that all these other things are are crazy. Well I understand that. And there's a time for that. And Paul was speaking to the Areopagus. He was speaking in a particular context in a particular time, and I, I think there's there is there is a time for us. To, to, to demonstrate that, that what we believe makes sense in the way that Paul did, to argue it. But what Jesus is calling us to do is not just win arguments, but win people. Win them over. And I would ask you again, how does your argument, how has that been working for you? To win people over. And what Jesus is doing here is he showing that invitation and service and the benefits of following Christ, those three things are the ways to win people and not just arguments. And so we want to connect Church Street with Main Street by inviting, by serving, and by demonstrating the benefits of faith. So first let's let's talk about invitation, inviting. We're we're called to be inviters. Jesus' way of life, it's not just a a perspective or a view on life, it is a way of life. And and when he calls us, he doesn't call us to be the invited, he calls us to be inviters. Now that's pretty important. Because Jesus isn't calling us just to be invited, he's calling us to be inviters, which means that this is A call to a lifestyle that's open and outward. Open and outward. Two out of three people surveyed across, 15,000 people surveyed across the United States a couple years ago. Two out of three people said that if they were invited to a Bible study or to a small group or to a church, two out of three people said, I'd go. Think about that. Not, hey, we're going to put a a banner across Broad Street down here. Hey, y'all come to our church. Not, hey, we're going to put it in our newsletter. Who reads that besides us? Of course. (laughs) Y'all read it. Cover to cover. I know. Spend a lot of time putting that thing together. It's all symmetrical, nice colors. (laughs) But the people that we need to invite are not reading our newsletter, and they're not going to respond to a banner or an ad in the paper, or, you know, Tim Filston on the commercial, hey, <laughs> not selling cars down here. We're, we're calling people to lead changed lives. And two out of three people say that if they were invited, they'd come. Now, all my life I've heard this contradiction Christians are too exclusive. Uh, Christians are too intrusive. (laughs) You can't have both. You can't have it both ways, right? Christians are too exclusive. Christians are too intrusive. I've heard this all my life. And you know what? If, If you want nothing to do with God, if you want to just write your own script, if you want to be out from under anybody else's authority, any excuse will do any excuse and so where's our compassion for people who are who are leading lives of quiet desperation where's our compassion jesus says you know i, I love the little throwaway things in this passage uh, jesus reached out to them and said I'm going to make you fishers of men, for they were fishermen. So, see how he meets them on their own turf and how he speaks to them in, in their own terms and how he, he packages his invitation according to what they were and where they lived. Now, I'm sure that their father, would, Zebedee, wasn't too happy about it, but yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Because immediately they left mending the nets and followed him. It was a compelling invitation. Why? Because he connected with them. He invited them. But he invited them to what? Not to be the invited, but to be inviters. I love invitations. Don't you love invitations? When you get that invitation in the mail and it's crisp and you pull it out and maybe it's got... You know, like maybe the letters are raised and you know this is an important event. Or, or maybe it's just somebody calls you on the phone and says, hey, we're going we're gonna to meet after work. Uh, you, you're, you're included, you know? Come over this weekend. We, we, we're getting together and we're going to watch the game and we want you to be there. Invitations are, it's just such a powerful way to connect with people. When was the last time and what would drive you when was the last time, and what would motivate you? When was the last time, and what would prompt you to invite somebody to come here? Or to go to your small group? Or to your Sunday school class? Or to a men's group? Or to, to MOPs? Or whatever it is. However it is that, that you're spending time with other believers... Trying to get closer to Jesus so that you can become more like Him. When was the last time and what would motivate you to be an inviter? The second is is demonstrated this the second way that we're we're called to win people and not just arguments is to serve. You can see that 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 there are all these different places listed in this passage the decapolis the, the cities beyond the jordan the judea any place that is reasonable for him to go on foot as far as he can go on foot jesus is going there he's going there and what's he doing he's serving he's serving And, and not only is he serving, but, but people are recognizing that he's here to help, and people are bringing people to him that are sick, that are dealing with all kinds of issues that, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a list that shows you that people are dealing with difficult personal issues, and they bring them to Jesus, because he's demonstrated what? Obviously, he cares about people. Obviously, he's he's making himself available to people dealing with really difficult issues. He's not not saying, look, let's just go to the synagogue and let's just have our club. And all those people dealing with that weird, yucky stuff, they can just, you know, they can go talk to their doctor. Jesus is saying, bring them. And obviously, He is so connected with people and so interested in their problems that people are bringing all of these folks that are their relatives that are diseased, dealing with difficult things. You know, uh, I, I was with a group of pastors about six months ago, and I saw the power of serving. I saw the power of serving. To build a bridge from Church Street to Main Street, we were talking about how uh, there are some, there are, there are a number of churches even around the southeast that are having a difficult time, that are are shrinking, and and maybe there's a church down the street that's growing, but but they're shrinking and they can't, they just can't figure out why, and the reason is they've become a little club, and so. They they are asking themselves the question, how do we break out of this? How do we how do we reach out? How do we connect Church Street with Main Street? And and one testimony from one pastor, he said, I never would have believed it, but here's here's what happened. I went in and I, I walked alongside this pastor in this in this in this church, in this city. And I asked him, I said, What do you think that your church and your people can do to reach out to the community around you? And he's saying, I, I have no idea, I don't know. And he said, "Well, what's that building across the street?" He said, "Well, that's the that's the high school." <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, you've got a high school right across the street. I wonder if you might go talk to the principal and, and just say, "How can we help you?" He said, "Oh, really? I don't know about that." He said, "Yeah, I'll go with you. It'll be fine." So so, pastor to pastor, they they went across and and went into the principal's office and just said, "Hey." We're from across the street, and we were just wondering if there's some something we can do to help you within your school. And she says, um, she says, uh, "Come again? What are you after? What do you want?" No, really, we just want to know. I mean, are there things that like don't get done, or there problems here that we could help? Like volunteers, like we could come and we could just help. And she said, "Are you serious?" Yes. She said, I've been doing this for 35 years. And I've been in this, I've been in this school for 10 years. I've never had a, anybody from any church come and ask me how they can help me. And she burst into tears. And here is this, this woman, this professional who suddenly experiences the church for what the church is called to be. Now, that church is growing. Now, those doors are open to that church. Now, there are kids in that high school who see that church is a place of problem solving, a place of generosity, a place of compassion. They're winning People and not just arguments. Do you think, well, let me ask you. When someone comes to you and they have it all figured out, do you tend to be a good listener? (laughs) When someone comes to you and they have a chip on their shoulder, do you tend to think, hey, I want to know what they have to say? When someone comes to you and they offer assistance and they build a relationship and they just demonstrate that they have no ulterior motives but to serve you and care for you, don't you want to know, what's, how did they get like that? <laughs> of course you do. And see, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. How? Well, he answers the question. The question is answered in the passage. Just go and serve people. Take what gifts you have and, and, and pour them out. Right? Pour them out. And so, here's a, a school that's being served by the local church, and here's a church that's found new life again. Third, and finally, this. Not, we're called to connect Church Street with Main Street to demonstrate the relevance of faith in everyday life, not by winning arguments, but by winning people. Let's go over it again. Inviting. Serving. And finally, showing the benefits of this one faith. You See, we're not, we're not called to, to take the one faith, the truth about life, the universe, and everything, and, and just to put it as though it were one offering among many on, in a smorgasbord of beliefs. We're not called to, to do that. There may be at times when, when someone might be open and they're comparing and they're really asking a, 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 a sincere question about the distinction between Islam and the Christian faith. Between just existentialism, me making up what's meaningful to myself... And and the and this biblical faith, they may be sincerely asking and searching and seeking. And in such instances, it can be very appropriate to say, "Yeah, this is this faith is about dying to self. It's about shifting the center of your life from being all about me, myself, and I to being about about God and about the things that He's doing in the world and trying to be a part of it." And and, and that can be very well received. And when you put it that way, well, who could argue with that, right? But people want to argue with us. They want, to, to, they want us to react. They want to play gotcha games because why? I've found over and over and over again the reason why people want to discredit the faith is because they don't want it to be real so that they're not held accountable, so that they, feeling guilty about their past, can just dismiss their past and never deal with it. So that they, in all of the things that they want to give themselves permission to do, can continue to give themselves permission. So that they who are harboring anger and have come to define themselves by their anger can continue to give themselves permission to be defiant and bitter. Because they can't even imagine what life would be like apart from their bitterness. And they're so ticked off at that person in, in the past. And they're really, they're ticked off at God. And they just want to be mad. And they're going to hook you in. They're going to say, gotcha. See, you're not fair to the, this person over here. They're going to hook you in and try to get a reaction. Uh, and, and, and what they want to do is they want you just to be in, it, it, just to succumb to the way that they have framed up this polarized view of this particular issue, as only as if there were only two reactions to someone dealing with gender dysphoria, as if the only one uh, only one action uh, only one response is 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 to dismiss them entirely and say, "Boy, that's weird. I don't want anything to do." Or uh, uh, you know, phobia, the, the latest phobia, and Christians are all phobic. And here's the latest phobia. Or the other way, the only other option is. To just simply let every individual and every quirk of every, every human life dictate to the rest of us. Oh, those are our only two options? Yeah, That's a losing battle. Don't enter into those kinds of debates. It's, it's just lost before you begin because the premise is off. Our question is, how do we care for people? How do we love people? How do we engage people in a way that says, I'm not sure about all that stuff, and I don't have all that figured out, but I know this, I I care about you, and I know that God cares about you. He cared about me, and all I'm here to do is, is just care about you. Showing the benefits of our faith through compassion. Let me give you an example. In the same way that Jesus winsomely reaches out to people you see in this passage, from all different walks of life. I've used this illustration before. It's my favorite illustration about how you engage people who are far from God. And uh, it was Al Mohler. uh, Some of you probably heard of him. And he was in this lineup, this panel. And they were dealing with open marriages, the idea of open marriages. And, and everybody was, was coming from a different point of view. Well, what's an open marriage? Well, use your imagination, but not too much, all right? That's what it is. It's just kind of like, well, whatever, right? Yeah, we have this commitment, but you know, whatever. And of course, Al Muller was there to bring the hammer down and just say, "You people are all, you people are all messed up. What's wrong with you? And he didn't do that. And I loved his response. He was there so that he could just be the mean guy and say, y'all are all going to hell. You're, you're, you're just crazy people. That's what he was supposed to do. That was his script because that's what these people who had, who had invited him have decided that we have, that's all we have to contribute to the conversation. Here's what Al Mohler said, and I love it. And this, this demonstrates exactly what you see Jesus doing in this passage. He says this, look, I'm not here to tell you that you have to do it my way. I'm just here to invite you that if doing it your way has led only to heartache, you might want to try it this way. I love that. It's an invitation, it dodges this polarized way that we're debating everything in our culture. It serves, it invites, it serves. And it just holds up the benefits and says, look, this isn't about a perspective on life. This is life itself. Come, drink from this fountain, a wellspring of life.